Hey, Sales Lift audience, it's Tyler Lindley here. Welcome to part two of my interview with Mary Grothy from SalesBQ. If you missed part one, go back to the previous episode to catch the first half of our interview, or you can dive right into the second half of our discussion right now. Yeah, one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, kind of cold outreach, having the sales team do their own prospecting and a lot of that being cold driven and that, that you know, whoever they're reaching out to is not expecting that outreach. It's completely cold and you don't really know what the situation might be. There's been no kind of indication of interest or indication that they're even in a potential place of opportunity versus warm outreach versus having someone who maybe has been qualified by marketing to a certain extent, or maybe has raised their hand on certain key pieces of content or identified themselves as a certain ICP fit, that customer profile, they are one of those buyers and they are struggling with these issues that might indicate an opportunity. How can we, you know, you're talking about kind of this inbound philosophy and and cold versus warm outreach. How can we help to structure that and ensure that our reps are only reaching out to those warmer leads? If all they're doing right now is cold prospecting, how do we make sure that they're using their time wisely and doing some cold prospecting, but also balancing it with having those warmer conversations of more sales ready leads? Yeah. Well, we have to we have to be honest with ourselves right now. You need a technology that can give the salespeople visibility into who those people are. Step number one. So we usually meet CEOs at a point where they're very hesitant to make an investment in technology. Hmm. Why do you think and they want I well, some of the CEOs we work with are more old school and traditionalists, mm-hmm. but they grew up in an era where salespeople had a phone book and no computer. Mm-hmm. And there's this thought that has lasted the last few decades of, well, this is how it used to be done. It's like, please, it's not done that way anymore. I don't want to hear it one more time. <laughs> I don't, I don't care. Like I help CEOs understand if you're going to have that conversation with me, we need to just have it and get through it super fast because I'm not going to have this time and time again. It is not 1985. It is 2020, almost 2021. So you have to be willing to be an organization that's willing to show up that way, the way the buyer works in this day and age. So your perception of the sales unicorn of yesteryear, like that salesperson doesn't exist anymore. That profession doesn't exist anymore. If you're going to rely on salespeople to manually build lead lists and to do this cold outreach and to not invest in technology and not invest in database partners and not invest in this, you're literally throwing money out the window and you're holding salespeople back. Mm. Not only are you throwing money out the window on missed sales opportunities, but you're throwing money out the window on retaining potentially really amazing talent that could go find a hundred other companies that have made the decision to invest in technology and have an amazing revenue ecosystem that they can just show up to where they have qualified opportunities or visibility into those warm contacts. They want to be in that role. They don't want to work for you. So you have to realize that by not making a potential 10 to $30,000 annual investment in your tech stack and into your database partners and other partners that are going to help with the revenue ecosystem. If you're not doing that, you will lose it within a couple of months on salespeople that don't want to work for you or their their ability to perform at the highest level is completely held back. So you have to acknowledge that. So why? I think it's because there's more of that old school methodology or mentality, I should say, of how sales should be done. That perception has got to be removed. It just doesn't work anymore. And I think that if somebody... let Let me rephrase that. 
It probably still works for those that are super proficient in it, but we are not raising up sales talent. We have not in the last 10 years, the last decade, the sales talent that is being groomed and coming up through the ranks, just like how they as children were brought up on technology in their last five to 10 years in their sales career, they were raised on having technology. So you have to realize the talent that is available in the market and the talent that you want on your team was never raised to have to do all this cold manual stuff. And so if you're still an employer that thinks that that's a better use and that you just want to wait to find the sales unicorn that can do all this stuff, they're, you're, they're, 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 they're becoming extinct. <laughs> okay, They're aging out of the sales profession. And so you have to realize the talent you have, what they're used to and how they've been set up for success. And you have to mirror that. So that initial investment into technology is key. It's number one. When we first started SalesBQ, we would work with our clients no matter what tech stack they had. And this was a miss on our part. Hmm. We're like, oh, you have Salesforce. Okay, great. Okay. Oh my gosh. What are all these fields? I don't know. Who set this up for you? We don't know. It was like three consultants ago. Well, where did all this information come from? Well, we bought a list back in 2006 and imported it. Well, when's the last time this list was cleaned up? Well, I don't know. Well, what do you do? for email automation. No, we don't do that. I don't want to spend money on that. I want the salespeople to send the emails. So what visibility do you have and who's coming to your website and who's interacting and engaging with your brand? Is anyone here doing social listening? Is it What are you doing for webinar strategy? What's the follow-up follower? Oh, yeah, we don't have anything for that. No, we're not doing that. We're not. Okay, 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 okay. So let's figure this out. <laughs> Step number one, you've got to make this investment and you have to have the right tech stack. So in, in uh, 2019, we went through a whole process where we evaluated five or 10, I don't know, I didn't do it. Our VP of RevOps did uh, CRMs on the market. Mm -hmm. And we made the decision after a very, very extensive evaluation and working on those same like five to 10 different CRMs over 18 months with our varying clients. We made the decision to put all of our eggs in the HubSpot basket and we have never looked back. And this technology has changed the game for our clients. And HubSpot is a partner that continues to invest in R&D and to be able to roll out features for this SMB, like small to medium-sized businesses, easily scaling into the one to 5,000 employee organizations now with these new enterprise features. We are proud to be a HubSpot agency partner and we have never had an issue selling it. When we go into our CEOs and we map out current state versus desired future state. And I can map out where their dollars are going and where they could be. And their ROI that's being held back because of the lack of the technology performing for them. We call it people being required to do processes manually that should and could be automated. And then we show them the difference between the two. It's a no-brainer. There is not a client yet that has not gleefully signed on the dotted line for HubSpot. And when our team is able to build the HubSpot instance for them to make this thing sing, guess what happens? They make money. (laughs) (laughs) And it's amazing. So getting your team in a position where they can have visibility into customers' behavior and into those warm attributes, it takes a salesperson. Trust me, we get to work with them all day long. Salespeople, wouldn't you rather have a quick snapshot of the 10 things your buyer's done to interact already with your brand and have a glimpse into their business profile and their day in the life and be able to research them through uh, LinkedIn and other tools to see who this person really is 
and then see the behavior and their interests on how they're interacting with your brand on the website that, but they haven't reached out to you. So it is, you know, it's not cold. It's warm. It's not hot. It's warm. Mm -hmm. But to be able to strike up a conversation based on their behavior and what is showing to you could potentially be their interest and open up a conversation. 100% yes. Right. Exactly. And it goes back to the point you were making about growth versus scale. It sounds like you believe that building some automation and some more process and systems that allows you to scale versus grow. Growing where your expenses stay the same, scale mm-hmm. is where you can keep expenses relatively flat while increasing revenue. That's yes. where that scale comes into play. If people are scared though to automate things, if people are scared of that. They want that human touch. It's always been relationship based and it's always been, well, I've leaned into my team and I've leaned into whether that's the marketing team or sales team or service team. Like I really lean into our folks. What separates us is our people. You know, when you, Mm -hmm. when you hear automation, those leaders might think, well, we're taking our people out of the process. How do you combat that? You know, folks that might be scared to automate pieces of their business, automate, whether it's on the client facing side or internally, how do you overcome that kind of fear of automating Mm -hmm. certain things that might take some of their best people, which they view to be their best asset out of the process. Yeah. Yeah. You can automate and still keep it personalized. People, I know it it is a sensitive subject. If anybody listening to this that has that fear and has a LinkedIn profile, you probably have that fear because of the bots and the spamming that you're receiving on LinkedIn, where it's that connect and pitch and the constant non-personalized spamming all day, every day, as well as some emails that you might be receiving that you get these junk emails and think, I don't want my company being perceived in the market as a robotic automated spammer. Mm -hmm. So just because a lot of companies are doing it wrong, that doesn't mean that you can't have a winning strategy that still embraces your uniqueness and brings in personalization, but the process is still automated. So I would challenge their thinking to say, one, I align with your fear because I get spammed all day long. But every time I see those spam messages, in a way it encourages me because the every now and then one out of a hundred messages, a rep takes the time while still using automation to personalize it and speak my language. And they get my attention because the spam and the noise is so bad that the person who makes a decision to do something slightly different, they stand out. And I give that person my time of day in that conversation. So I want to be encouraging to that fear-based thought and align with you and then say, there are proven ways to do it. So some of our favorite pieces like with our HubSpot automation. And no, I mean, this isn't a HubSpot commercial. I'm speaking from the heart. We've worked on so many different technologies. And if you want to learn anything about my heart or what I stand for, I'm an open book and you can just go look at verygrowthy.com and you will (laughs) see where my heart is. We only exist to grow our clients' revenue. I am a person that is so high urgency and so results-driven and has zero patience for mediocrity, subpar performance, or wasting time doing things that could be done in a more efficient matter. That's my DNA. So everything I say is very honest and truthful from our experience. And it's set in a way to position you for success. So I hope that there's some value and credibility when I'm making these recommendations. It's because we have done this for over 100 companies in the last three years. 
HubSpot automation has a way to personalize it so that when people are receiving the quote unquote automated message, it feels like it was written for them. So some of the best technology partners out there have ways for you to customize it. So that would be my my encouragement is don't let the spamming crap that Mm. has been inundating you be your perception of what automation is. Yep. No, I totally agree. One thing that you brought up earlier that we haven't touched on a ton yet that I'd like to dive into a little bit is we talk about what happens from once a sale is made, once someone is a customer, and then they they probably start working with a, a customer success team or service team or account management team, mm-hmm. whoever's managing that customer post-sale. You know, that's in a very important part of the process, that handoff mm-hmm. specifically, as well as the things that are done to to manage that customer now that they are paying you and and what you can do from that point on. What advice would you have for these leaders who are trying to work on that sales to success handoff? How can mm-hmm. you how can you do that more effectively? And then once the handoff is made, what can you do to retain that client, upsell, get referrals, those kind of things that you need to do to to stay in mm-hmm. business? You know, what what would you what recommendations would you have post sale for these type of leaders? Yeah, the client experience from the day that they sign should not... This is typical, okay? I'm a client. I signed the contract. I get an email from my new support person or my implementation person. Welcome to ABC Company. We're so excited to have you as a client. Let's set up our introduction call. I book a 30-minute meeting and the implementation person opens up the call with, so tell me a little bit more about your business and tell me um, why you made the decision to buy this. And really, we're going to go through an implementation survey here and I have to start from zero. And my response is, go talk to my salesperson. I already went through all of this. We've already, we've had multiple meetings. How you know none of this is not good. Mm -hmm. Step number one is find a way to bring in a transition specialist, whatever kind of name you want to give them. Could be a project manager, could be pre-implementation, could be whatever you want to call them. We call them at my old company, senior implementation project manager, SIP them (laughs) for short. (laughs) And this person would get involved on any qualified opportunity that had made it through the initial demo. Mm-hmm. And we had a qualified project with understanding that this was somebody making a buying decision within a certain time frame. We brought in our SIPM. The SIPM then became intimately aware of everything that the client needed. And then it was the SIPM's responsibility to meet with the implementation team and the operations team to download everything they needed to know so that when the first implementation call happened, it was seamless, as seamless as possible for the customer. Additionally, the salesperson had to be on that call and be a part of the handoff. Then you as the corporation, you have to define your roles in operations, implementation, customer service, customer success, account management, right? Whoa, that's like potentially five different people working with the customer. You have to have very clear outline of who is doing what in the customer experience ecosystem. I love that word. We'll just Mm -hmm. use it again. I was trying to come up with a different one. I'm like, but I think I like ecosystem here. So when you think about who owns the relationship and then who's responsible for what. So we helped one of our clients redefine their customer experience. One, we had redefined the implementation process because what I told you at the beginning of this topic is what was happening. The salesperson would sign it, they go to implementation and the person, it was the first time ever learning about this company. It was terrible. 
And so we ended up creating that smooth process, like I just told you about uh, with that SIPM. Mm-hmm. Then when we got into that, we had clearly defined roles. So they had a technical component. They had a portal. One of the biggest things they had was tech service. Like I lost my username and password. I can't lock in. There's a glitch. Something's wrong with the portal. So like tech support. So we created a role that was solely tech support. And stripped that out of the customer success person because the customer success person was responsible for all of those things. And what we found is that the tech support line item deserved to have its own support. And so when we stripped that out, that way we could have a more technical person that enjoys and really feels fulfilled to helping people reset usernames, passwords, and fix technical glitches um, and could speak that tech language that we did that. Second... We then had a customer success layer that was about the customer experience. So the fulfillment of the product, the ordering of the product, the fulfillment of the product, shipping, communication, delays, uh, anything there that had to do with the experience of being a customer was put into customer success. Then... And we had an account manager or a relationship manager that was responsible for everything above tech support and then to the layer of experience to maintaining the relationship. So this person was about ensuring the relationship was with the organization with all key players and executives. So how many times as an account manager do you have a relationship with one contact at the company? But if five people were on the decision team to make the decision and you're only maintaining communication with potentially the, the day-to-day user, that the, the person who's interacting with it the most, what are the executives and other decision influencers doing over the course of one, two, three, four years? Is your competitor building a relationship with them and you're not? Is somebody within their family or immediate network entering into the profession and potentially about to steal that business from you and you had no idea. If you're not having conversations with the executive team in a market trigger or event happens and the company is in danger, and maybe they're looking at uh, phasing out, downsizing, they're uh, being set up for sale, acquisition, maybe that was part of their strategy the whole time. What if they're sitting on a... Maybe they're acquiring... What if they're going on a huge set for growth? Somebody has to own the relationship from an executive standpoint and be intimately knowledgeable and aware of what is happening with that company so that they can be proactive and get ahead of anything that happens with that customer. Too often, companies lose customers and they have no idea why. Mm-hmm. If you're not nurturing the relationship with your customer, your competitor is. How do you think your salesperson won that business for you? The same way that the competition, by the way, smart salespeople, when they lose a deal, they wait three to six months and then they re-engage and say, I know you chose my competitor. How are things going? And how was implementation? How's the experience been so far? And they're trying to drive a wedge. They're not going to give it up. Good salespeople will not let it up. So how are you combating that with your client experience team and providing an experience so pristine, not only will they never consider leaving your service, they're willing to spend more and buy more out of your product and feature set. And they're willing to refer you and be an ambassador for your brand. But if you don't have time, attention, and detail on those components, you are leaving so much money on the table. The next thing is that, do you even know how much revenue is sitting in your base, your client base? So one thing we help our clients with is we do an export out of their system. I like to do this exercise in Excel. It's a list of every single one of their clients. Mm -hmm. 
the size. So sometimes the value of a client is driven by how many licenses they have, how many employees they have, how many transactions they have per month, whatever that marker is that indicates the volume of the value. So you'll have the name of the client, the contact info, the size of the company, and whatever marker it is that dictates how much value they're worth. Then across the top of the Excel spreadsheet, you should have every product or service you can possibly sell. Mm -hmm. Now you've made a grid. Now by line item in a client, you put the amount of dollars they're currently spending in any of those buckets. And then you put the amount of dollars that they're not spending that they could be in all the other buckets. Then you run a calculation to say how much a client is worth today and what the client would be worth at max penetration into all products and services. Oftentimes, salespeople are only selling about 30 to 40% of products and services. So it's a land and expand. Mm -hmm. But what are you doing then to expand revenue? You landed it, but then does it fall flat? So you have to build a process. You need a playbook for customer experience and customer success, just like you do for marketing, just like you do for sales. And ideally, you should have one holistic revenue playbook and one revenue strategy with everybody doing their part, which is what we believe in. But when you get to customer success, you need to have a certain amount of time for implementation. Then you have a very clear handoff and protocol and communication to the customer for those different roles that we talked about and who's doing what. Then you have to set cadence for communication. So your account manager, your relationship manager should be doing those quarterly business reviews or some sort of that. I know there's like, we don't do QBRs anymore. Okay. Mm -hmm. Something to maintain a relationship with them and be intimately involved at the business level and with the executives and decision team. The customer experience should be absolutely pristine, leaving no room for bad, nasty remarks on social media, bad scores, bringing in MPS scoring, ticket uh, closed case, whatever, having visibility into how we're servicing customers. And then also on that bottom layer for like the tech support, customer service and whatnot. So it's just having that broken out. Then you have to have that account manager or somebody responsible for understanding a timeline and a plan for revenue growth and expansion. So in the spreadsheet, you'll be able to see, holy smokes, we have $3.2 million sitting in our base unsold. Well, what's your plan? If you have account managers and you need to divvy up those accounts and the account manager needs to do planning just like a salesperson would, and they need to map out a plan for every single client and say, here is my plan to upsell. Now I'm not an idiot. I know not all clients are all fits for all products and services, but you need to be able to come in and take that 3.2 million that you have and then refine it and say, what's viable revenue? Mm -hmm. So of the 3.2 total, what's realistic? What's viable? What could actually be sold based on who these clients are? Then you have the viable number and that's what the goal should be set. You carve it up amongst your account managers and then they need to have an executable plan with management that's going to hold them accountable to it because so often account managers aren't held to the same level of standards that your salespeople are with quotas, goals, metrics, and what are you doing to coach them in their conversations and ensure that they're doing the right things to expand that revenue, maintain the relationship, and holy smokes, we're running out of time and we haven't even talked about soliciting referrals and how marketing can <laughs> leverage happy customers and what are we going to do? Right. No, totally. I, I think all of that rings true and we can certainly continue that conversation in the future. Mary, I, I want to, if, if folks that are listening want to reach out to you and get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you can uh, drop us at info at salesbq.com. That comes to me and my marketing strategist will make sure you're taken care of as quickly as possible. If you like this type of content, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Mary Grothy. You can also subscribe to our Quota Crusher podcast, which is mostly sales driven. Um, but there's a lot of ways you can just 
Google me, you'll find me, you'll see me everywhere. And uh, of course, we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll link to some of those in the show notes. If, if folks want to connect with Mary online, highly recommend it. Thanks so much for joining, Mary. I appreciate it. We'll do it again soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the, T-H-E, sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T, dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at tyler at thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas plus action equals results. You've got new ideas, now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.